I was just now driving with my son. I took off in my car with my son in the front seat and he didn't have his seatbelt on, which is bad, of course. Uh, came up to a zebra crossing and saw some people just about to get killed by me and, uh, and, and put the brakes on pretty hard. Um, well, my son went forward. Look, he didn't fly forward, but he lurched forward. Yeah, he put his hand out and said, um, I'm not trying to defend myself. It was very bad of me. Uh, anyway, he looked at me with that sort of nervous grin, or naughty grin, and I said, Alan, oh, we're not using names in this podcast. Well, not very often, only when we forget. And I said, seatbelt, you know. And he said, um, and then I said, as we took off, after he put his seatbelt on, and I said, I'm going to start sort of just putting the brakes on every time I take off, just to make sure you've got that on. And he said, what if you put the brakes on too hard and I go flying through the front window? And I said, well, yeah, all right, I grant that would be hard to explain to your mother. Um, And he said, it would also be hard to explain it to the judge if she heard about it now all right his default idea of a judge is of a woman judge okay that's fine um uh, this is not about feminism this episode it's going to be about black lives matter actually uh i i mentioned black lives matter in the previous episode but that was about coronavirus that episode more you know and a few other things, and grammar, you know, more than, any, you know, it wasn't about Black Lives Matter. Uh, but my son saying that, just the tiniest little thing, you know, um, a swallow doesn't make a spring, um, got me thinking that I could just use that as a lead-in to a very short episode on Black Lives Matter. I might as well do one. Unfortunately, I'm not very passionate about the whole subject, except if I expose myself to what's going on, in America especially, at the moment. And I'm sure that if I expose myself a bit to what's going on here in Australia as well, you know, I'd be a bit disturbed as well. But some of the stuff I see out of America, I get disturbed about, you know, from time to time over the course of my entire life, you know. I was born just before Martin Luther King got shot. A couple of years. About five years, I think. Uh, So, um, I suppose I've been exposed to this sort of stuff all my life. I've I've, I've been vaguely aware of it. Look, I grew up in a country town and I didn't meet an an African, for example, I don't think, until I was about 30. I doubt that I even clapped eyes on an African. Never saw one. Um, And as far as Indigenous people, I don't think I met one of them until I was about 30 either. You know, so I never met a Jew either. There's a lot of people I never met until I was older. Um, But be that as my... my, Yeah, so it's, it's hard. You know, and that was before internet too. You know, Jews were something that existed in the Bible, for example. <coughs> it's not good, but it's just the way it is. You know? 
Um, so I was more interested in football and playing tennis and all that sort of stuff. All right. And um, it's hard to sort of get out of that habit. Um, but, you know, we've got the internet now. You know, I, I never knew what blackface was. And very luckily, I went to a fancy dress once many years ago. And very years ago, uh, I was a manager in a... Um, uh, in a an organisation that related to human services, you know, and uh, I went as Michael Jackson, but I was tossing up whether to go as Michael Jackson or Little Richard. I didn't like Michael Jackson, but I did like Little Richard. And I thought oh, I'll go Little Richard. Ah, oh, you can't get a costume, a Little Richard costume. So I went Michael Jackson, and. Just by luck. You know, I had never heard of blackface, and where would you find out about that? Yeah, in the old days before there was internet. You know, you, yeah, you could argue that you should go and look to make sure that there isn't such a, black, a thing as blackface, as, you know, that being a problem. You could argue that, but then you'd say, how would you think to think that it could be a problem such that you should go and look for it? might, you know, possibly being a problem and all that sort of stuff, you know. But the point is, I went as Michael Jackson and I went down the costume shop and I got a Michael Jackson costume and it happened to be a costume of him after he had turned white. So I went to this work party as a white Michael Jackson and I got lucky Uh, because the internet then came along and uh, social media and all that stuff and, you know, there could have been footage, and there would have been footage, of me uh, as little Richard in blackface. And uh, I know a speechwriter who 20 years ago did that. And uh, this was before Facebook started. And he got sacked. You know, so that could have happened to me too. Uh, but all that can be as it may. The point is I have been exposed to injustice all my life, one way or another, for example, oh, that Maserati had to slow right down to go over the speed hump outside my house. Um, now, we've just had them put in in the last year. It used to be a racetrack, this road. Um, now, um, so I have been exposed to it all my life, and... Um, but never been quite engaged, and I'm still not very engaged. Uh, <laughs> look, I, 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 I feel a bit disturbed from time to time when I do actually go hunting uh, to find out what's going on in, in a time like this when, uh, well, the current one is George Floyd, his name is. It'll be someone else by the time you're listening to this. Yeah, and and I see some imagery and all that sort of stuff coming out of America, especially. But if I um, searched hard enough, I'd find it in Australia too, amongst the indigenous Australian um, population too. You know, um, it's a little bit disturbing. They do get, yeah. Look, I was um, look people of all kinds. You know, get a hammering from cops, for example, and others. Uh, however, having said that. Um, there is something specific going on um, with, uh, well, non-Europeans, really, as a collective. Yeah. And it all harkens back, and I think it does, to uh, you know, 
that era when Europe made itself technolog technologically advanced, they got to jump on the rest of the world, and and then um, and then managed and used that to uh, put a, a knee on the neck of the rest of the world, and the rest of the world has been finding it hard to get up again. It's very symbolic what happened to George Floyd just the other day. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, arguably, you know, if, I don't know, Egypt had have got the jump this time on the rest of the world, they might have done the same thing as the Europeans did, and so might, m might most other cultures, but the point is the Europeans did. So whoever does end up doing the bad thing, well, you know, they can come in for some criticism. I suppose, you know, the Romans, I'm sure, came in for some criticism in their time too, and the Egyptians before that, but it's our turn now, the Europeans, and, you know, just because anyone else might have done it, had they had the chance, doesn't mean that we shouldn't be criticised, and so on and so forth, there's a whole argument about that. I was actually listening to a BBC um, panel, uh, a BBC journalist um, interviewing four African-American women as it turns out. Oh, I forgot to talk about my son, but I'll get back to that. Um, uh, just before. And uh, uh, the whole Black Lives Matter protest thing, etc. there's a furor going on about it, and I know about that. I hear about that. Uh, but it, it's not getting to me, and it's not frustrating me, uh, because I'm not on social media. So I'm not involved in what I know must be a pretty frustrating debate, if you could call it a debate, if you could call it a debate, shouting match, you know. There must be people, you know, just not making sense to each other or to anyone else if you were a fly on the wall listening. Black lives matter, all lives matter, black lives matter, all lives matter. Black lives matter, it's different, you know. No lives matter. What? Shut up, you know. Um, that would be going on, but that's not frustrating me because I'm not involved. All I, I, I really engage only at a pretty sophisticated level, not my own sophistication, but I listen to people uh, discussing and debating the whole issue in a fairly sophisticated way because I, I listen only to things like the BBC where they get intelligent people on, like these four women I was just listening to on a panel from America who were going into the whole underpinnings of the black experience. Now, I haven't defined the word black, but it has different meanings in different contexts. I'm not talking about skin colour here so, so much. It's about people who are black in, um, in uh, contradistinction to the way uh, Europeans refer to themselves as white. You know, so everyone else. It means everyone else. It means not Europeans, you know, that sort of thing. People of colour. It means not Europeans. You know, you can be white and still be black, you know what I mean? Uh, the Japanese, for example, at one stage, in early Australia, you know, white Australia policy, um, 
you could be white, you know, Japanese or Chinese or whatever, and still not be allowed in because we would declare you not white for the purposes of our white Australia policy. So it's not really quite about skin colour. Look, it's complicated. Just because it's complicated doesn't mean I don't want to get involved. It doesn't do my head in. It doesn't hurt my head. It doesn't frustrate me. It doesn't annoy me because I'm not part of the public discourse on it. I'm just someone who listens to intelligent people on all sides of the fence. I'm not one of those people, by the way. But I, I, you know, and um, I hear a pretty level-headed idea of all of that. You know, look, just one example. For example, President or ex-President Obama has recently come out and said, um, "Listen, protesting or voting." I'm hearing that a lot. He said, and he said it's not an either-or thing. You can protest by both methods, you know, by peaceful protest or peaceful voting. Be peaceful, he said. Let's do this by the book, you know, and we'll slowly get there all together. Obama said that. Now, one of the women on this panel, African-American woman, said Obama is, you know, he's, um, what if those two things don't work, she said, you know. What if voting doesn't work? And what if peaceful protest doesn't work? And she was in, you know, implying that Obama said it isn't an either-or thing, it's one of these two things. And she was saying, well, it's not only just those two things, there's other things, you know, there might be other things we need to do too to get this thing moving. Justice, she was saying. You know, she said he's buying in a little bit to the idea of law and order, but law and order doesn't necessarily equate with justice, you know. And she was saying, yes, law and order are good, but gee, you know, law, order and justice is better. And what do you do if law plus order equals injustice? Which it absolutely does. That bit I understood very well. That's easy to understand. You know, I've studied a lot of hist- Roman history and in the, you know, in the chaos leading up to Julius Caesar and all that, you know, um, law and order was definitely nothing to do with justice. You know, he had Cicero, who might have been known as Cicero in his time, who was essentially an elite, um, arguing for the continuation of a an institutionalised mafia system. And he was arguing strongly for law and order under a state mafia system. There was no justice, you know, and that's why the... Republic got blown away as might the Republic that is the United States at present. It might get blown away too. And if it does, it might have something to do with quite a lot of things. It's never just one thing. But one of those things might be that uh, law and order Uh, are being put forward as what is required. Well, often you do need a little bit of that just so you can think straight. It's very hard to think during a riot, but, you know, if everything calms down and law and order is established, 
and then we click back into um, our uh, habits of injustice again, you know, then the riots will come again. <laughs> that sort of thing, you know. Anyway, um, what this episode is about is almost none of that. I'm not here to make commentary on Black Lives Matter. You know, I'm not going to stand here and be a passionate advocate one way or the other. In fact, don't listen to me on this. There's too many people like me talking. So I'm not even going to talk about it. Believe it or not, I've been talking a lot just now. Probably, I don't know how long. Oh, 16 minutes and 22 seconds. But I actually haven't said anything on the subject, on the matter. Well, I'm not really anyway. Nothing like the amount of sophisticated stuff that the women... I was listening. Just a second. Two minutes. Two minutes. Said son. I'm out in the front yard. Well, and uh, wandering out into my street, as you can probably hear from cars going by. Uh, The cops came to our door recently too and said, listen, there's been reports of a strange man wandering around here. And we're hoping to get some video footage of him. Um, These cameras above your front door, are they real? We said no. And uh, I just had this nervous little uh, anxiety attack that if they do happen to get that footage, it'll be me walking around in circles in my street making podcasts. Uh, But anyway, yeah, because it is night time and it's night time when I do these things. All right, now, um, so what this podcast was going to be about and what it will still be about is not feminism, actually, and uh, not necessarily Black Lives Matter either, but, wait for it, hope. (laughs) And not my hope either. Now, I'm going to grab on to just one straw in a raging river, (laughs) which is uh, my son having said, when he nearly went through my front window earlier in my car, um, that it wouldn't look good for me if she heard about this. And what she meant, what he meant was not only my wife, but, but a judge. You know, because it's my responsibility to make sure my son wears his seatbelt. Now, what this episode is about is the fact that my son, in 2020, has a default image in his head of a judge being a woman. This is not the first time he said something like that. Uh, look, part of the reason for that is that his mother's a lawyer, you know, and this sort of thing. So he just assumes that people who are in the law tend to be women because some of her friends are women and they are lawyers and so on and so forth as well. Um, Anyway, um, so look, there's reasons why he just automatically thinks that women are judges and men are software coders, you know, because that's what I am. Okay, um, but it doesn't matter. The fact that it's, it's even a default, a default image of his, that that's the case, you know, is a little tick for feminism that we've come somewhere by 2020 compared to when I was a kid because I wouldn't even have had 
a chance of everyone I know who is in the legal profession being a, being women, you know. See, it's one step back from the fact that his mother happens to be a lawyer and, you know, and all that sort of stuff, and that's why his default idea of a judge is... He's eight, by the way. Um, his default idea of a judge is, a, is that of a woman. Um, it's the fact that his mother is one anyway. You know, how did that happen? Well, it's because we had moved along. Now, by the time my wife was going to university, she had a lot better, a much better chance of becoming a lawyer than you know, her mother or her grandmother did. You know? So, one way or another, see, it's not just about, for example, you know, it's not just about what's in front of your face. You know, the fact that his mum happened to be a lawyer and boom, boom, you know, so he's, you know, he's got this mental picture. It's the fact, you know, of a woman, of a lawyer being a woman by default, you know. It's not about that. You've got to go back a layer down, you know. Um, how did she become a lawyer in the first place? This sort of thing, you know. And the same goes for Black Lives Matter, I, I imagine, you know. It's not about, you know, I heard Minneapolis where the George Floyd murder... Yeah, supposed murder. Looks like it is. Looks like it's going to be once it goes to trial. Uh, well, <laughs> yes, we might have a Rodney King situation there if the cops get off, mightn't we? But let's just leave that right alone because that's not what this episode's about. Um, but it's not the fact that, you know, like it's 13 times more likely that an African-American, or look, a black person, under a certain definition of black, you know, just because you think, oh, you know, you're not black, he's brown or whatever, it's not that definition of black. There's all different definitions of black. You've got to, you know, get with the program. (laughs) Everyone should define their terms first before they start discussing things because often people are talking about different things. You know, one person might be saying black lives matter and meaning a completely different thing to someone else who has a different idea of what that should mean. And then the other person says, well, all lives matter, because they have... Oh, jeez, I do have to get back inside. Look, I'll finish this off. Yep, sorry I forgot. (laughs) I'm coming in now. Remember? Yeah, 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 get in. That I have a life. You do have a life, yeah. (laughs) Um, Look, I'll have to finish this off. And not before time anyway. Hope. The fact that... Oh, what I was going to say, look quickly. Um, It's not about that, you know, for example, African-Americans in Minneapolis are more likely to do crime. And that's why they're getting um, killed more often. It's 13 times more likely for for a black person to be killed in Minneapolis at the moment over the last number of years than it is a white person. They take stats on who's black and who's white in America. We don't do that in Australia. We don't know who's black and who's white in America, uh, in Australia, because we don't have that on our census form. It's not... You'd have to study the history of Australia versus the history of America to know why we do not know who's black and who's white in this country. We know who's indigenous, but that's different. And we know who's Torres Strait Island, but that's about it. Uh, You know... The closest we get is, you know, where your mother and your mother and your father might have been born, South Africa. What's that going to tell you? Yeah. Is that going to tell you whether someone's black or white? No. 
We don't know stats like they know in Minneapolis, um, where they can tell you it's 13 times more likely, if you're black, that you'll get killed. Now, it could be the case that it's 10 times more likely that you'll do a crime um, you know, that could put you in the firing line. <laughs> Sound like a rapper there. Um, but there's still the other three, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, all of that doesn't matter. What you do is you go down a layer under that, you know, you know a little bit like, you know, with um, my son having a default idea of a woman being a judge and a judge being a woman, but that's because, you know, how did his mother become a lawyer in the first place? Well, because society had changed. Yeah, and uh, same goes in America in that situation of Black Lives Matter. Um, okay, so even if I admit that Africans or, you know, black people are doing more crimes in Minneapolis, that's why they're getting killed in bigger numbers, even putting aside the possibility that they might be getting killed in even bigger numbers than would be justified by the extra crime, even if I put all that aside, why are they doing the extra crime anyway? And the reasons for that were discussed at length by people more sophisticated on the subject than I am, those four women before that I was listening to on the BBC, go and listen to them. You won't get anything from me that is as, is as good as the sort of stuff they were saying. So I'll leave that alone. I'm not going to make any commentary about that. Don't listen to me about the actual subject of Black Lives Matter. This podcast is only about a tiny, tiny little ray of hope. And the ray of hope is this, um, that if my, um, you know, sometimes it feels like it's getting nowhere. Um, but in fact, it's getting worse. And I don't know if that's because it's just being videoed more often. You know, the whole, well, there is police brutality and all that sort of stuff. In, 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 at a higher level with black people, in America at least, and maybe with Aboriginal people here in Australia too. I don't know. Haven't looked into the stats, but I bet you I might find something a bit scary if I did. A lot of good cops in the world. I know that because I'm from a cop family. Okay, now, um... So, um... But, a little ray of hope. Well... Um, it would not have been possible for my son to have a default idea that a woman should be a judge if he had been born when I was born, 1960s. It wouldn't have been possible. So we've made some advancement when it comes to feminism so when it comes to Black Lives Matter, you know, people will say, oh, this is just going nowhere. This protest will come. There'll be another police killing next year, which there will be. In fact, I think there are heaps and heaps every year, you know, but some of them actually just hit a nerve and go bang. Um, yeah, there'll be more. There'll be another George Floyd, let's put it that way. And, um, you know, but 20 years from now, is there any hope for the future? As the Paul McCartney song goes, I love that song. Um, um, I might even put it on, I don't know. It'd be a bit kitsch, but I might do it anyway because I like it. Um, yeah, that would make the episode really corny, but that would be fitting. Um, um, 
<laughs> I have really let you down. <laughs> I couldn't stop talking, Alex. <laughs> All right. You said you were going to be in two minutes. I know. <laughs> but it's just made it very funny, um, this and thing I'm talking about, so having far, you <laughs> interrupt so far, me. having two minutes. How many minutes has it been? Well, this is what it feels like. Hey, I've got a question. Get inside. <laughs> no, I'm coming. That on. is a statement. Oh yeah, that's right. Now get inside. No, you get inside. You get. <laughs> you, you, first. You, you first. After you. Ladies first. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you win that one because it was funny. Okay. All right. Now, um, so there's hope for the future. Uh, and you can join the dots on all of that. Now, in the previous episode, which wasn't about Black Lives Matter, I, um, it was about coronavirus. Um, I happened to, in the middle of that episode, just sec, what? I'm coming. Uh, I happened to have said something on topic. I said, get off the phone, we have a spillage. A spillage? Well, that's your spillage. You, fix, you pick it up. No. Hey? touching that. <laughs> you spilt it. Yeah, but I'm attaching it. <laughs> Go and get a, a towel. There's a wire on it. I'm not touching it. It's, it's not a live wire. I'm not touching it. <laughs> um, I'm going to slice that bit of audio out of the previous episode and bring it in here. Um, and... Um, it's going to take on a whole different meaning by it being sliced out of context and chucked into this episode. Um, if I slice it out of that previous episode, in which that little segment didn't uh, talk so much to Black Lives Matter, but when you when you quote some someone, even yourself, out of context, suddenly that thing can take on a whole different meaning. I've changed my mind. It is too corny to put um, Hope for the Future on. I'll put another Paul McCartney song on anyway. It's got nothing to do with this episode. But um, this one is in the same style as Hope for the Future. Hope for the Future he did for a video game. It's nothing to do with this episode. He did it for a video a video game, I think. Yeah, Paul is called upon to do these things sometimes. He, he was called upon to do a James Bond movie once, you know, Live and Let Die. Uh, and Hope for the Future was... It really works for that video game, I believe. I can hear it as a video game. Uh, but here's House of Wax. I actually like this song. There's a lot of Paul songs that not many people know, but I'll put this one on if I can make the buttons press. Just give me a second. Uh, dun, 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 dun. And this is just for the atmosphere. Atmosphere. The words mean nothing to this. Here it comes. Maybe.
65 when he's done that. <laughs> uh, I could have put something on when he was 25. Yeah. Have you ever heard him doing Long Tall Sally by Little Richard? His voice <laughs> is a foot above his own head. Yeah. Really, um, only sort of 
only two people could sing Long Paul Sally, and that's Little Richard and Paul McCartney. Um, now, um, uh, now there's uh, oh that extra audio, which I'll put on now, uh, which lends itself to this episode, which is now a long one, but nobody's listening by now, not after all of that music. Theoretically, I should have put on some music that was more in keeping with the sort of music um, that someone who cared about Black Lives Matter would like to listen to, you know, especially not just a, you know, a Beatle, you know. Um, you know. They're European yet again. You see, it's insidious. Uh, even in rock and roll, I could do a whole episode about that. Um, uh, you know... The white man stole the black man's music. And we know it, we rock and roll fans. I'm a rock and roll fan. Um, it, it, it goes on and on really deep down. There was a famous... Look, it's relevant. There was a famous um, argument that happened once upon a time between Wilson Pickett and Tom Jones. Now, Tom Jones um, had a TV special, a TV show... Um, and a lot of white rock and rollers had those. You could get that going easier if you were a white man. I don't mind talking in white and black man speak, you know, even though a lot of people object to it. This podcast doesn't care if people object to what it's saying. And it doesn't care about that, whether, you know, whether I'm coming across as a conservative or... In some, as I do in some episodes, or coming across as a kind of, you know, someone who's sitting on the Black Lives Matter side of the fence, as I am in this episode. It doesn't matter either way. I'm happy to offend a conservative just as readily as I'm happy to offend even a protester from the Black Lives Matter movement that I'm talking too much about it anyway. I don't care. Now, you know, you shouldn't be listening to me if you really care about the whole issue that is Black Lives Matter. You know, there's too many white people like me talking about it anyway, and I don't pretend to even be that engaged myself. I'm a stream of consciousness sort of person in this podcast, and I'm not here trying to look like a good person. You know, there's too many good, there are too many good people in the world, you know, and I don't want to be one of them. I'm just saying what I think. You like it or not, look, you're not even listening. Um, but there was a fantastic uh, moment, uh, an argument, and uh, I kind of ended up on Tom Jones's side on, in this argument. Tom Jones certainly did in his autobiography. It was an argument that he had with Wilson Pickett, who's the fanta- who's a fantastic soul singer. Um, and Tom Jones had Wilson Pickett on his show. He'd invited him on his show. I think this was back in the 70s. It would have been in the 70s, yes. And um, and uh, Tom Jones invited Wilson Pickett onto the show, and somehow they got into an argument, you know, which went along the lines of Wilson Pickett saying, "Listen, this is, you know, this is basically bullshit that you've got this show and um, you're so famous and everything. I'm Wilson Pickett, you know, and I can't have a show like this. And we invented rock and roll, you know, and um, and he's right, you know." Um, it all came from, you know, the blues had a baby, as uh, Little Richard said, and and it was called rock and roll. Now, uh, it is true, it just worked out that way, you know, you had 
Donnie and Marie Osmond and all this sort of stuff, you know, all these people having the rock and roll show. And, you know, uh, Pat Boone doing a little Richard song and making a million records out of it. And he was totally ill-suited to uh, that song, Long Tall Sally, was Pat Boone, but, you know, they couldn't release it. There's a lot of insidious racism that goes along. They, you know, they couldn't really get it out there as little Richard, you know, being the superstar in the first instance. He ended up that way. Uh, Pat Boone had to release it first, you know. Pat Boone doing Pat Boone doing a little Richard song is a mess, you know. But it had to happen for little Richard to get the leg up. See, that's wrong, but that's the way it was. You know, rock and roll. You know, I could do a whole episode about that. You know, like Elvis, they couldn't have him appearing on TV sort of moving in a suggestive way, in a lewd way, if you like, you know, in a sexual way. Um, but they could, but little Richard could get away with it. And you might think little Richard was good, you know, was lucky because he could get away with it, whereas Elvis couldn't. You know, they wouldn't shoot Elvis from the waist down because, you know, it was a bad thing, you know. Uh, but they would allow little Richard to effectively have sex with the piano on TV, and and there was no mention, because what else would you expect of a black man? They would have used a different word, and it starts with N at the time, you know. Um, and there's lots of examples of that. It's insidious, it really is. I get where they're coming from. You know, it starts at kindergarten and goes all the way through. Um, the, the problem that is, black lives matter. Uh, another example... Um, I'm I'm pretty good on the little Richard examples usually. Uh, look, he had the yeah, all the usual things, you know. Um, if the tap, you know, little Richard once little Richard wasn't a protesting type. Uh, that's a whole story in and of itself. He just wanted to get up out of the gutter, you know. He didn't get into all of this. He's not a Martin Luther King style uh, icon. Little Richard, and there's a reason for that because he just wanted to get it, get the hell out of the gutter, you know. That's his. He just wanted to be the king, like Muhammad Ali a bit, but he didn't even want to do the protesting thing like Muhammad Ali did. Um, yeah, but anyway, look, I'll put all that aside. But oh yes, the argument, uh, uh, little, uh, sorry, not the Richard, um, uh, Tom Jones and Wilson Pickett. Wilson Pickett was getting quite angry and. Tom Jones got angry in return. He said, hey, I'm giving you a shot on the... You know, Tom Jones, I still, even to this day, uh, maybe he got it, maybe... Look, Tom Jones knows what he's talking about a lot more than I know what he's talking about. Um, but he said, listen, I'm giving you a gig on the show. You know, this is massive exposure for you. And I think Wilson Pickett might have been frustrated and said, yes, but why is it that way? And they got into an argument and Tom Jones eventually told him to get staffed. And didn't have him on the show. And he said, he said I'm going to ring, ring Little Richard instead. Now, I'm a fan of Little Richards, you know. And um, he did ring Little Richard and end up with a top show. It was a great show. Tom Jones and Little Richard clicked beautifully. You know, you can Google those shows. That show with Little Richard and Tom Jones singing together. Two huge, powerful voices. Amazing. Um, but Wilson Pickett, um, yeah, it didn't end well there. You know, and Tom Jones wasn't doing anything wrong. Yeah, but and yet I I can see where Wilson Pickett was coming from. Wilson Pickett was never going to get a show like that. Yeah, you know, and yet Tom Jones was he was reduced to the level of and this is the great Wilson Pickett. You know, he was reduced 
to having to um, feel fortunate to get a gig on Tom Jones's show, and he's and I think he might have been thinking, why isn't it the wrong way? Why isn't it the other way around? You know, and then, um, but then Tom Jones is thinking, hey, you know, I love you, mate. You know, I love you. Yeah, and and Tom Jones did. He loved all of them. Did the Beatles? You know, the Stones. Everybody. They loved African American music, but it was all the white ones that got famous. Like I mean, super famous, like Led Zeppelin and all that sort of stuff. All the English boys basically got mega famous, and even Little Richard couldn't help noticing that everyone who used to be his backup band, whether that be the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, you know, all the ones that used to idolise Little Richard, you know, David Bowie and Elton John and all these people. And Little Richard was just sitting there saying, all these guys are turning into absolute billionaires and I'm still sitting here and I can't get a record. Cut. And yet I started it all. How come I'm not where they are? You know, even Little Richard did notice that and it it did frustrate him. He didn't do it in a protesting way, but he tried to turn it into a joke all his life. But it was a bit of a tragedy, really, you know. All the greatest, if you Google greatest rock and roll artists of all time, I've done it myself. In the top 100, there's about three black people, and one of them is Jimi Hendrix. But the rest aren't, except for two others, maybe, you know. Which is bizarre when you think about where rock and roll came from. And, and you know, maybe Black, and Lo- black Lives Matter is a little bit about that, too. Um, But let's have this other bit of audio that I had because this has now turned into a fully blown Black Lives Matter episode, albeit from someone who really, you know, look it isn't. You know, albeit from someone who is, you know, you don't need to be listening to me. It's about, um, and I really do think this, you know, it's about us being educated by people who are in that situation. In fact, I've listened very closely to Little Richard all my life, a huge fan. Not so much of his music, although I love some of his songs. Um, But um, his struggle, his mind camp, has fascinated me since I was a teenager. And I kind of got it all the way along, but only from a rock and roll perspective, you know. Um, But the average Black Lives Matter person gets it from a rap perspective, and I should have put a rap song on maybe before, you know, instead of Paul McCartney, yet again. There you go again, Beatles again, you know what I mean? Yeah, why wasn't I putting a Wilson Pickett song on? Well, the reason for that is I don't like um, music um, in general. Um, I don't know why. But, you know, all my favourite artists happen to be a little bit like me, Euros. Is that wrong? Well, it's just the way it is. Anyway, I'm not trying to come across as good, you know, because that would make me vomit. Right. Now, uh, right, let's get that other bit of audio on and see what we make of that. And it's a piece of audio by me in my previous episode, but now taken out of context and put or taken out of the context of that previous episode and putting put into the context of this episode and then maybe I'll put that other song on right at the end by Paul McCartney um hope for the future but not because this episode needs it this episode actually needs to not hear it 
but simply because I like the song. You need to spend 40 minutes or an hour on every single topic. The world needs to slow down, but social media is on steroids. Hey, did the Americans invent that? <laughs> I think they might have. No surprise that social media is sending public discourse to the dogs. Now, one thing about social media, though, is everything has to be grabby and, and um, you know, concise and branded. So everything, even serious issues that matter, you know, very deadly serious matters, even things like racism, uh, they have, something like that has to be branded or it doesn't exist. So the way these things get branded, for example, you know, is um, as follows. You know, for example, you get a brand going. It has to be branded. I don't think people are actually that conscious that that's what's happening. Um, but... Um, what was it? Um, uh, we stand with Paris. What was that one? But even that's too long. We stand with Paris. What was the one when something happened in Paris? Yes, the terrorist attacks ages ago, and everyone was on Instagram or whatever and Facebook and all that sort of thing, and they had the French flag, and then some slogan. You see, you need a slogan. Okay, so the branding at present, you know, around racism, you know, um, well, if you were to put it properly, um, what needs to happen is the, um, the evils of the past, you know, the scramble for Africa and colonization and slavery, you know, and all those sorts of things, serious redress needs to occur across the world, you know, economically socially, politically, and in many other ways too. And, um, and all those evils in the past uh, persist to the current day in the legacy that the past has left in, in the present. You know, for example, in terms of a rigged, economic system, for example. You know, like back then, um, Africa, for example, was raped and pillaged, and a lot of other continents too, you know, especially by places like England. Um, grand theft, looting and rioting, if you like, on a global scale, you know, by France and England and all those sorts of things. And it didn't go away. You know, we, we, we like to feel we got enlightened. Um, but the legacy of that continues on today in the form of what we broadly call racism you know, and um, a rigged world social, economic and political system. And there's no way for what they call people of colour um, to really have a chance, a red-hot chance. Look, you get your occasional Obama... You know, but the exception doesn't make the rule, and this is the problem of racism now. And I've probably only covered it, you know, one percent. Now, here's the problem. That took me about fifty words to say all that, and I and I, I covered it only to the tune of one percent. Now, what 
the world of social media doesn't allow long discourse, such as the kind of discourse you know, I get involved in in this podcast. It doesn't allow that. You know, there's going to be no transcript of what I'm saying here, no matter how beautifully or carefully I put it. You know, a little phrase somewhere in this entire speech will be pulled out and put on social media and they'll say, that's what Charlie Threbbo thinks. But it's not what I think. I think I think something a lot more sophisticated than all of that. You know, but the problem with branding, the cult of branding on social media is that that little monologue, soliloquy, whatever, that I just made, you know, which was just off the top of my head, the first thing that came to my head, you know, that, to try and describe what racism is. Um... On social media, you can't have that many words. So it has to be distilled. But um, when you distill it to a very short slogan, all the meaning has gone, and the slogan doesn't mean what the problem is anymore. So there's a slogan, for example, Black Lives Matter. Now, that that doesn't describe the actual problem at all. Not, not even close. Not even close. I think, um, you know, Africans, you know, are saying that too. No, no, you're getting, you don't know what Black Lives Matter means. It means something much more than Black Lives Matter. Days ahead will be the best of all. 